Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. So last week we did part one of Dr. Harold Shipman, so this week we're going to continue and do part two. So I'll just get right into it then. Uh, last week in part one, we finished in 1978, where Harold had killed four victims, was working in the medical practice in Hyde with all of his other colleagues, and as usual, treating them like he was better than them all. As I said a lot in the last episode, that yes, Shipman was a narcissist, and in my opinion, would be completely awful to work for, as there's nothing worse than people not being appreciative of everyone that works in the building from the cleaner to the owner, as nowhere can run without both. That's an irrelevant rant of mine, so I'll move on. And the fact is that even with his attitude, he was a trusted doctor and liked by his community. However, even though he was a well-liked doctor, Harold and his family didn't hang out with or socialise with their local community, neighbours, extended family or his work colleagues. He even didn't attend the 20th anniversary celebration of his practice that he had a share in or any type of do the place put on, you know, such as folks retirement drinks or anything like that. He just did not care. Like I know sometimes you're like, oh, I can't be bothered going to that. So you don't. But he just didn't attend any of it. Now, whilst I'm on the personal information about him, I'll jump to 1985, where his father died of a heart attack at the age of 70. Like I said, though, he didn't keep in contact or socialise with his family and throughout his life always thought he was better than them all. With that in mind, Shipman didn't actually attend the funeral for his dad. However, he did have the audacity to be absolutely raging when he found out that his dad had left the family house to his older sister. She then sold the house and bought her and her family a brand new house where she then invited Harold's younger brother and his family to live with them and she wrote up her will to leave everything to the younger brother. As you can clearly tell Harold's siblings got on with each other but Harold remains on the outside as it's not like he has shown any warmth to them. Once he had found out all this information though Harold decided to cut off any ties that were left with his siblings going forward. Not that I think they really cared that much. And this really left Harold with just his wife and four children, as he wasn't a big socialiser, as I said. Now, on to more of a timeline of events. We've got the four in 1978, another two in 1979, where investigators believed he killed about two patients a year from 79, 80, 81 and 83. However, in 1984, he drastically increased that number to nine. In 1985, there were 11 deaths and investigators believe this large number was due to his fallout with his siblings, mind with the house and the dad death. The numbers aren't really going down much because we have eight in 1986, eight more in 1987, back up to 11 in 1988, 12 in 1989, only, like I use the word only quite loosely here, but two killings in 1990. 
Later, the investigators weren't completely sure why the number was much lower again in 1990. However, they believe it may have been because he was almost caught. In the early 19th, 19th? In the early 90s, the medical practice installed a new way of documenting all the medical history of their patients. This was now done electronically. Harold was against this at the beginning. Of course, it was unknown and perhaps he thought he may not be able to amend records as easily. But his attitude soon changed when he realised that he could work the systems no bother and act superior to his older colleagues who had trouble using the system. So thankfully, this arrogant attitude was what helped in the evidence towards putting this killer in jail in the future. Now, in 1991, investigators could only put one kill against him. But in this same year, Dr Shipman decided to leave the Donnybrook surgery after 14 years. And he went to open up his own surgery just around the corner. And he named it the surgery. Harold's exit from Donnybrook was very bitter. Before putting in his resignation, he had went through his contract with a fine tooth comb as well as consulting a solicitor for advice. Absolutely nothing in his contract stated that he was unable to take his entire client list with him. And that's exactly what he'd done. Now, yes, to play the devil's advocate, we can say he has every right to do this, which he does. However, it was always fair practice that whoever leaves the surgery leaves their patient list behind for the new person coming in to fill their place. This obviously wasn't going to be the case with Harold, and so the surgery didn't actually replace him, as there would have been no client list to pass on. As part of his departure, the other physicians were also required to pay him his share that he had handed over to them when he first joined the practice. The worst part wasn't him taking his clients or receiving his share back. It was the fact that he refused his own portion, like he refused to pay, sorry, his own portion of the taxes that were owed from the group's profits. As a group had no legal action to get shipment to pay up, they had to take his share between them all and they each owed thousands and I mean thousands of pounds more to cover his portion. So that's a bit of a kick in the face for him to do all of that, in my opinion. He could have just, you know, left gracefully. Now, Shipman now begins to escalate his killing spree as he's now got his own surgery and he feels untouchable. In 1993, the death toll shot up to 15 patients, 11 in 1994, and then completely went crazy in 1995, killing 28 people. In 1996, he kept up the pace by killing 30 patients. And in 1999, he kept going up with 37 kills. Now, as I say, he's now his own boss. He has his own surgery and he's literally getting away with murder. However, he is still requires the help of other physicians to sign off on his paperwork such as death certificates. This is where the fully established physician group just across the road came in handy for Shipman. Whenever he needed a second signature, that's where he went. And they, he did pay them a small fee to do this. Now, in 1996, Dr Linda Reynolds joined this medical group across the road, where she very quickly realised how often she was completing Form C's for a Dr Harold Shipman. Now, Form C is a confirmation of death form, which is filled out by a second physician to certify the death occurred in either a hospital or outside a clinical setting. This is a standard procedure. 
Now, Dr Reynolds also, also raised her eyebrow to the fact that Harold was present at a large number of his patients' deaths, which is really unheard of. Yes, it happens. However, if it happens in a hospital or even your own home, it is very, very rare for the doctor or a nurse to be there the moment you die. It's usually just not long after. Because this raised an alarm with Dr Reynolds, she asked her colleagues about this. However, they shrugged it off and confirmed that he has a very large client base of elderly clients and that he frequently makes many house visits. So it's not completely abnormal for this to happen to him and it's not surprising. So they drop it. But Dr Reynolds wasn't the only person at that time who was becoming concerned about the amount of deaths in Shipman's care. Taxi driver John Shaw, who shared many of his elderly clients with Shipman and had become friends with them, became concerned when 21 of his customers died suddenly within a three-year period. Although these customers were elderly women, they were in fact in good health. The only connection he could find was that they all had Shipman as a doctor. Unfortunately, though, he didn't take his concerns to the medical board as he had no confidence that they would investigate this. He also didn't go to the police, as he thought they would also just dismiss him. John did raise his concerns with his wife, though, at the time, but she advised him, advised him not to say anything, because Shipman was a well-respected figure in the community, and she did not want her husband to get sued for slander and lose business. With hindsight, yes, you would say that John should have come forward straight away with his concerns. However, this is something that probably eats him up inside all the time. And who's to say that, you know, you and I, Caitlin, wouldn't have acted in the exact same way. Another person who had concerns about Shipman was Deborah Bambroff, formerly Massey, who first became concerned about Shipman's high patient death rate in November 1997. Deborah worked in her family funeral directors, Frank Massey and Son family funerals, and when one of Dr Reynolds' colleagues came to her to sign some papers, she raised her concerns with him about Shipman. The doctor then went directly to Shipman and asked him outright about his patient's deaths. Of course, Shipman, being the talker that he is, assured him that nothing out of the ordinary was happening. With these concerns floating about, you would think that Shipman may start to kind of tone it down a bit, but you'd be wrong. Between January and February 1998, Harold killed another 12 patients. But thankfully, Deborah was not satisfied, sorry, I can't speak today, was not satisfied with Shipman's reassurance that nothing out of the ordinary was going on. Deborah noticed that all of these clients were elderly and that the majority of them were women who died at home alone, were sitting up in their chair and were fully dressed. Now, does this remind you of anyone in particular? Yep, they were just like his mum when she died. As remember in the first half, I mentioned that no matter how ill she was, she would always sit up in her chair waiting for him to come home from school. When Deborah would normally go to pick up a body, it was very common to see signs of recent illness and that the deceased would typically be in bedclothes. But with Harold's, they'd be in the living room having a cup of tea. She was also concerned with how Shipman was able to enter the person's home should he not have been present at the desk, which, yes, wasn't many of them, but it's still a red flag. Now, with these concerns, Deborah went to raise these again as it just made her uncomfortable. Thankfully, the person she raised these to at the time was no other than Dr Linda Reynolds. 
Now, on the 17th of March 1998, Dr Shipman asked Dr Reynolds to sign a Form C for another of his deceased patients. After this, Dr Reynolds decided to call a meeting with the other doctors in the practice where they went through their files and did a comparison of how many Form C's they had signed in the last three months for Dr Shipman and how many they had for in their own records for their own practice. Now, among the 9,500 patients in their practice, there were 14 deaths total in the last three months. Compared with Shipman's 3,000 patients, he had 23 deaths and Dr Reynolds and her colleagues had signed 16 cremation forms for him. Dr Reynolds immediately contacted her medical union and the coroner. The coroner then contacted the police with this information. Sadly and rather infuriatingly, with hindsight, the lead inspector was on holiday and so the case was passed to an inexperienced investigator who didn't deal with these types of cases before. He didn't understand the comparison, the comparison of the death certificates that Dr Reynolds had given him and he did not realise that the bodies of the two most recent deaths of Shipman's patients were still actually in the morgue. So this meant that no autopsies were carried out. After a not very thorough investigation, the investigator closed the case and no action was get, taken towards Shipman. Now on that note, this then catches us back up to summer 1998, after the death of Kathleen Grundy and Shipman finally being arrested. However, remember at this point, he's only been arrested for forgery, attempting to obtain property by deception and for the murder of Kathleen Grundy. When Harold was questioned about the morphine that was found in Kathleen's tissue sample, he claimed that she was a heroin addict which is completely ridiculous and very hard to believe, even without the evidence to show it was just nonsense. The fact, though, that Harold was counting on was her medical records. Remember the new electronic system that he grew to love? Well, he was confident that these records would show symptoms of her dependency on heroin, which, yes, it did, but yet Harold was shocked, and on the 7th of September 1998, he was arrested. Back in August, when the police took Chipman into custody, they had a warrant for his home address and practice, which was when the police confiscated all of his records and computers. Being the arrogant narcissist that he is, Harold didn't think anything would come of it, as he wouldn't ever be caught, as he thought he had covered his own back by amending patient records, should they ever need to be seen. But what Harold failed to understand was that a forensic IT specialist could get into these records to check them, and that they can check when entries were put onto the system. The computer's hard drive had stamped the date and time when each false record was added. Shipman amended so many of the records throughout the patient's history so that when looking back, there would be reasons for each person's death. When his patients died, or should I say when he killed each patient, he was present and would come up with the cause of death that would satisfy the family and not raise any questions, along with satisfying the coroner so that there would be no cause for concern and no autopsies would be required. That's when he then went back to his office to amend the electronic records to fit what he put on the medical forms for cause of death. In the case of Kathleen's death, he also backdated her records to show many other doctor visits and that she had had heart disease. 
With this information coming out to the public, that's when many other family members of his victims started coming forward with their stories. Due to this, the inquiry expanded and in September 1998, three more bodies were exhumed and on the 5th of October 1998, Harold Shipman was arrested again on the suspicion of those three murders. When brought in for questioning, Shipman was confronted with the backdated records for the three deaths. And that is when the questioning came to a halt because he became too distressed and confused to continue as he clearly was caught off guard. He didn't think that the IT guys would be able to get the dates. And when he updated the records, that showed that they were changed on each of the dates the three victims were killed. Two days later, Shipman was charged with the murder of the three patients. As I said in part one, when he was initially arrested and when the media got a hold of the story, a lot of the residents in Hyde at first came to his defence. Their reasoning was that there must have been a reason for the patients to be given the morphine in the first place as they were dying and that he may have given too much to be compassionate. Others were more upset that bodies were being exhumed as I guess it's just very uncomfortable thing to happen, you know, once you're in the ground and you've been laid to rest and then all of a sudden you're getting taken back out of the ground again. Now, as he was I don't think it's uncomfortable for the body as such, but for the no, family. No, not the body. Right, I was like, yeah. I don't know what road you're going down here, but right, No, the body you. doesn't know what's happening. The body is still That's dead. I was like, I don't think you can feel it after, like, but the family, right, sorry. Yeah, family and onlookers. Not that they were looking at the bodies getting taken out of the ground, but I mean, like, they saw knew, You know what I mean? Just people that were alive were uncomfortable. Let's just move it. on from this part. Yeah, OK. Now, has, as he was a doctor, he did have a few supporters as they trusted him, and you would never think that a doctor could be capable of murder like this. Now, statistically speaking, doctors and nurses are the least likely people to be suspected of killing a patient on purpose. However, as we all know, there has been quite a few, especially when it comes to poison. We've covered a couple back in 2021, namely Colin Norris and Beverly Allett. If you want to have a listen, they're both different. And you've also got that Netflix film with Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne about the nurse in America that I think overdosed their patients or gave them insulin in their drips. Now, that isn't me painting doctors and nurses in a bad light. We all know they deserve like, you know, a pay rise, better working conditions and they're brilliant people. But I'm only saying that just because they have the sort of halo effect where they are instantly trustworthy, but you can get the odd one out like Shipman. As part of the investigation into Shipman, the police develop a system to identify the bodies to exhume. As there were so many suspicious deaths, they opened up an inquiry and put a system together where they assigned points to each case to help them prioritise. Points were given where a patient had a cause of death that wasn't persistent with their medical records, if their medical records had been altered, if the body had been buried and not cremated, if personal property was missing, and if a family member had come forward with suspicions. A number of inquiries within the system took place over the next five years. The choice of using diamorphine was a strange one for Harold to use because this drug stays in the body's tissue as long as it's there. So yes, he tried to get most of his patients cremated, but not every family would go along with that option. Shipman was a smart man and he knew this and would surely know that there's other drugs out there that can kill someone and not be in the body for so long or would be harder to detect. 
like insulin. Now, however, this is believed that he chose a drug that would leave a trace because he was so arrogant and full of himself that he thought no one would ever question his work. Between August and December 1998, the police had exhumed 12 bodies. Some were too decomposed to get tissue samples, but lab testing showed alarming levels of morphine in nine out of the 12 bodies. In February 1999, Shipman was also charged with the number with the murder sorry, of six women who were cremated. However, the investigation into their records, death and belongings managed to link these to the murder of Shipman. Now, on the 5th of October 1999, Dr Shipman pleaded not guilty to the 15 counts of murder against him. So that's the nine bodies that the lab were able to test and also the six that were cremated, as well as pleading not guilty to the one count of forging Kathleen's will. Shipman was found guilty and was sentenced to 15 terms of life imprisonment and for the forgery, a concurrent term of four years imprisonment. By the time of his trial, with the investigation still ongoing, the police had found evidence towards another 23 murder victims. However, on the 18th of February 2000, the Director of Public Prosecutions announced that no further criminal proceedings would be brought against Shipman as he would not have a fair trial after all the media publicity. After his trial and conviction, there were still hundreds of people uncertain on how their loved ones died. Due to this, the coroner opened up inquests into 232 deaths. The inquest released its findings in stages as there was so much to process and investigate. The final report was released on the 27th of January 2005. Now, on the 13th of January 2004, a day before turning 58, Harold Shipman hung himself in his prison cell. Harold has, had lost his doctor's pension after being convicted of a murder, quite rightly so, and his wife Primrose had no pension or career to fall back on. She was estranged from her family and didn't have many people left standing by her as she was in denial about Harold having killed his patients and stuck by him this whole time, stating that she knew nothing of it and believing that he didn't do it. Either, even after being told all the evidence towards him. What she could do, though, was receive a widow's benefit should Harold die before the age of 60. And so it's believed that this is one of the reasons for him taking his life, so that he could provide that benefit to Primrose, as he owed her at least that. In killing himself, though, he also took the last opportunity to play God and take any information he had about the murders with him, as he never ever admitted to any of the murders, and he took this to the grave. He was always pleading not guilty. It's believed that Harold Shipman murdered over 250 people. Why did he do it? I guess it made him feel good, and he was getting away with it for so long. But like I said, he took all that information to the grave with him. So this is just speculation and personal opinion. Were there multiple faults over the years? You know, could he have been caught sooner if it wasn't for oversight? In my opinion, yes, he could have. However, I'm working on the basis of hindsight here. And so my opinion may have been different if it was happening right under my nose. Um, if, if I didn't you know, know everything that I do now. Um, but Caitlin, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, no, I think I obviously knew who Harold Chipman was, but that's actually a lot more information than I realised. And 
I completely actually get why he killed himself because I see it from the side of wanting to play God and keep all that information down, but I also get that he had like nothing else to live for. So annoying that he didn't serve his time and get the punishment he deserved, but 